Well, hello, friends, and welcome back. My name is Sergio, and I'm the handler for Mayday's Delta Green campaign, Doomed to Repeat. With me again is Luomonero himself, Black Project Gaming's Vince. How you doing, buddy? Hey, man. Good to see you again. And of course, uh, good to be here. Glad to have you all tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please consider liking and subscribing to us on whatever platform you happen to enjoy us on. Reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify helps boost our visibility and helps us grow. And if you want to help us out further, there is always our Patreon, where you can find extended versions of these episodes and even more Patreon exclusives. The candles are lit. The ceremonial dagger has been retrieved, and the human sacrifice is thoroughly strapped down. Time to say your prayers and meet the dark man, baby, because you have found the dead drop. Vince, it's that special time of the year when even the terminally online begin to notice that the leaves are changing, the temperature is dropping, the pumpkin spice is flowing, and folks are actually looking forward to being frightened. That is right. It is October, and what a perfect season to run Delta Green. In this monthly edition of the show, we will be speaking with Kevin Ham about the upcoming October Shotgun Scenario Contest. We will try to design a shotgun scenario of our own, and we'll have a scenario discussion about the perfect Halloween one-shot music from a darkened room. As always, those of you who are tuning in, if you have questions or comments, if you want to discuss uh, a, a, a session of yours from Music from a Darkened Room or any other game, please let us know. Uh, and if you want us to discuss a certain topic, reach out. So, Serge, kind of riding on the back of your interview with the uh, amazing Night at the Opera folks, Will, Melonbread, Kevin... Uh, Chief McLean, all, all those guys. Um, turns out you did another interview with Kevin to discuss this year's shotgun scenario contest. Um, for those of you who, who may not be aware, uh, one of the longest running contests in the Delta Green community and probably one of the more popular ones has been the annual shotgun scenario contest um, in which even the illustrious Caleb Stokes, uh, author of God's Teeth and, and one of the role-playing public radio GMs, has written, submitted, and won uh, for his shotgun scenario. So absolutely a great contest, so much fun. Uh, what kind of stuff did you learn, man, getting to sit down and talk with Kevin about, about this? Well, I learned that the contest is kind of settled into a very specific uh, uh, style. It's a 1,500 word or less contest. It begins October 31st, and the last submission can get in by December 31st. So you better believe at the end of December or maybe in the new year, we'll uh, talk about the winning entries. Yes. Um, but yeah, I sat down with Kevin. I just asked him some basic questions about uh, the contest and for new folks, what they can expect. It's a lot simpler than, than you'd think. It's uh, it's a Delta Green scenario contest. And the idea is that you write a very small scenario. So very condensed, very lean. There's, there's a lot of like uh, apocryphal ideas of where the term shotgun scenario came from. But I always think of it as like something you can grab, grab off the shelf in an emergency very quickly, you know, pick it up and run it. So it's a 1500 word or less scenario. So there's really no fluff. There's no, not, not a lot of room for like complicated lore. It's a very simple, like here are some cultists or here is a interesting thing to chew on. Let the agents, agents go deal with it. Veterans taking on a threat, like you can create pre-gens and it still works. It doesn't count against you. So it opens it up a little bit there, but generally the 1500 word thing has been there for most of the contest life. It goes back pretty far. 
So an interesting thing about Kevin is that he has both submitted to the contest and now he is running it. He's taken it over uh, from the person that ran it before. So I asked him what is the typical judging process, who decides it, and how do they come up with the decision? Yeah, I just picked my favorite No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's, there's actually two kind of uh, parallel tracks there. So one is that anybody, anybody and their mother can vote on their favorite scenario. And that's just the popularity vote. Um, we call that like the people's choice vote, people's choice award. It's just what what do people like? That might be they might like it because it's got a cool name, or it's you know maybe their favorite, their friend wrote it, the favorite you know member of a of an old podcast wrote it, whatever. That's the people's choice, and it's pretty much a free for all. And that's kind of how it used to be. Um, and then everybody who submits a scenario gets to cast a vote, and that's a ranked choice voting. So that that basically means you know if you're willing to put in the work to create a scenario, you get a vote because you're, you're you're qualified in the sense that you wrote something so you can decide what, what is good um, and obviously we use ranked choice because otherwise everyone would just vote for themselves and nothing would matter so really it's like what is there is there an agreement on second choice that's what wins the wins the contest now during this interview while you were talking with him did he happen to mention you know what they specifically look for in a winning entry like what are some of the factors that really push it over the top for them i don't know it's gonna do well it's always a surprise uh but I think, like personally, a good entry is something that I can quickly read through and run. So, you know, uh, well formatted in terms of like, you know, character names are bolded or interesting things are bolded or if there's an important clue, it's, it's called out. So that, you know, I get that I picture the picture of the scenario, you show up to your Dungeons and Dragons night and, ah, oh, the, the DM didn't show up or he, he's running or he can't make it. And you're like, hey guys, you've always wanted to play Delta Green, right? Let's do something. Now you're on the spot. You're like crap. I, I don't want to run some complex thing. So you basically just you pull some, one of these off the shelf. You you know what? I've always loved, you know, you know last year's contest winner or whatever. It's always a favorite. You grab it. You know it because you read it before, but like you don't remember it. So you quickly able to skim it. And, hey, let's all take five minutes and uh, make your, your head check, check check your pregens out real quick. You know, and then you're able to just start running it. So it's got to be runnable. And in shotgun scenario contests, they have to be a little. They got to be a little zany not like over the top but it's in terms of like this is not a campaign you're going to invest months in where you like you need your character to survive and slowly uncover the mythos this is like you know a big huge fight in like in the you know downtown you know in central park or you know trying to stop a huge monster or this is you know a, a you know a running shootout on a subway train like this is like really frenetic action-packed like you know so so, so the second scenario has, has to give me those set pieces those those things i can do so, you know, we here at the Dead Drop, we want to help those new handlers, those folks who are new to Delta Green. And so I had to ask them, uh, for anybody that is new to writing a shotgun scenario, what is some advice that Kevin has for them to write a solid first one? Yeah, the, the best thing is uh, our friend Will always calls it the attitude of the knife. So, like, write your idea down. Don't worry about word count. Write your idea down. And then just see how long it is and then just start cutting. Because if you write 10 sentences, I guarantee you can say it better in five. And maybe even in three. If, if you want to show, like, if you're setting your scenario in a, in, a, in a deli in New York City and you want that, like, corner deli flavor, you could write three NPCs. That's a lot of work. Or write one really good one. You know, like, talking about the guy who's, like, leaning against, leaning up outside or the guy who's leaning on the counter inside talking to the manager. Or, you know, talking to the owner and he's talking about... You know, whatever the owner's like, get out of here, you, you lazy bum. Like that is evocative, and he did that in a lot less words than explaining that there's three people who own the place and there's they have two cats. Like that, so like, right, and then just start cutting and keep cutting until you're lean. If you get less than fifteen hundred, 
write a little more and then cut again. So just cut, like, don't be afraid to cut things. And again, you're not writing your magnum opus. If you get to like 5,000 words, you're writing a whole scenario, do it somewhere else. You're writing a 1,500 word scenario that's very tight and focused. So keep it, you know, keep your knife sharp and use it often. Now, did Kevin have any specific places he recommended folks go to for inspiration? I know way back uh, there used to be the Fairfield Project, and they're even in the process of rebuilding the wiki uh, for Delta Green. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, Kevin had a bunch of good suggestions for where to get inspiration. Uh, yeah, if, if you're interested in, in working on your own, um, there's the the wiki, which I'm sure you guys will link, um, which has them all. You, you, if you Google Delta Green Shotgun Scenario Contest, you'll find them. You know, scroll through the last couple of years' winners, take a look. Scroll through the ones that didn't win, because, you know, maybe you have a different tone. You know, people will, will take a, a new story, like the, like the F-35 that went missing. And they'll, 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 they'll just post the article. And they'll be like, Delta Green, better send a team in there. Like, and it, like they'll just like no effort post it as if it's like the coolest scenario ever. It's like, guys, you got to put a little effort into it. But like, you, that's a start, right? Take that F thirty five missing, and be like, okay, if this, what if this thing didn't crash, but it like went somewhere else or did something? What if it did something interesting that the players had to investigate? And now you, now you start to have something. So start with like again, troll your local news, troll your interesting you know stories of last year. Uh, one of the quotes from uh, Melon Bread was always like, like find your favorite atrocity, right, and then figure out how to set a scenario adjacent to it. They happen to mention uh, what the rewards are this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, fame and fortune will follow you if you win. Um, I actually throw some some a couple of drive through RPG gift cards at folks um, every now and then. Arc Dream will will give a couple if there's something out. Uh, they've given out signed like uh, need to knows before. They've given out a couple of download codes for uh, recent books before. So every now and then, I beat up Arc Dream to give you a few rewards. But I mean, like I'm running this like for fun. You know, again, I'm not a huge like collaboration you know, that has you know all these resources. So you know, it gives you know, they usually I give the winner like twenty bucks and the second place ten bucks. And it's like, like you're writing this because you want to write a scenario and like you've, you've got it in your head, and th- that's what it's all about. Uh, Serge, once again, amazing interview, man. Uh, great work as always. Always great hearing from Kevin and those guys. But I'll tell you what, it, just listening to that definitely motivates me to kind of dig in and, and want to come up with my own scenario. So why don't we uh, why don't we put our heads together, see what we can come up with? I'm ready too. Let's do it. Now, taking inspiration from this month's shotgun scenario contest, we thought it'd be a fun exercise to see if we here at the Dead Drop could come up with a scenario seat of our own. Now, as a warning to everyone, there are many, many years worth of shotgun scenarios that have already been written. So if our final idea ends up sounding a little bit like your scenario or a scenario you've read, please don't think too much into it. There are only so many mythos entities and ideas. Recycling ideas is kind of a part of the community. So we're just doing this for entertainment purposes. We assure you we aren't trying to steal ideas or pawn them off as our own. And we should also point out that there are two great resources, at least in our opinion, uh, for coming up with a scenario. Me personally, uh, especially when dealing with my players' backstories, I love to roll on that table that's provided in the briefing documents, which are pay what you want on uh, drive through RPG, and kind of going off of that and using that to be, build a, a spine of a scenario. There's also the Handler's Guide, which has a whole section on how to build an investigation, so check that out. We'll make sure to put the page numbers in uh, the video. For the purposes of our exercise, we're going to try and keep a few things in mind from the Handler's Guide and their suggestions. 
Uh, one of the things they suggest is there needs to be a consistent level of uncertainty or a lack of control, a certain level of risk, and it needs to be scary. I think that's an important part of any good Delta Green campaign is the agents should be on the back foot and they should feel like at any moment they could be exposed. Absolutely. Uh, most operations begin in media rests as well. Uh, the agents have been brought in to investigate further or have been brought in to put together the clues. If this were a campaign, this might be part of an ongoing series of investigations that are linked, but we're going to keep it simple for now. So without further ado, we'll just go ahead and start rolling on this incursion table uh, here in the briefing documents. It's actually on page seven if you already have a copy. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read off the prompts and then our boy Surge is going to do the rolling. So let's let's see what we come up with. I got the dice. Um, hell yeah. So with uh, beginning with environment, we roll a D4. So Okay, D4. I was expecting yep. D100s, so let me grab a D4 real quick. Yep. Yeah, we, we go. With this one, you use D4s, D6s, D8s, D10s, and 12s. Kind of goes through the I'm game. I'm going to roll a D4 for our environment. I have a 2. All right, so that's suburban or exurban. Okay, suburban or exurban. Do you know what exurban means? Exurban, I believe, is like on the outskirts of a city or out, just outside of it. Let me, uh, yeah, a region or settlement that lies outside a city and usually well beyond its suburbs and that is often inhabited chiefly by well-to-do families. Got it. So it's kind of on the perimeter of a big city. Got it. Yep. Yep. Next, we have our vector. Our vector. Yep. And that'll be a D6. Okay. I've got my D6 here. Rolling it. Ooh, that is a six. A bystander exposed accidentally. Bystander exposed accidentally. All right, now we decide on what Delta Green's cover investigation is. Okay. That'll be a D8. D8. I have my D8. Roll two. Two? two. Terrorism. That's always a good one. <laughs> Terrorism. Amazing. This is going to be very interesting to come up with. Yes. Terrorism. Um, and last but not least, the actual nature of the incursion. So that'll be a D12. Okay. Uh, where's my D12? There it is. A six. Six. So an unnatural entity or phenomenon taking physical form through human infestation. Taking physical form through human infestation. Which kind of fits nicely with the bystander exposed accidentally. Yeah, it does. Clearly we have a uh, patient zero in that bystander exposed accidentally, right? Absolutely, yep. Okay, so I'm recording my screen right now so that the uh, uh, listeners and viewers, most of the viewers, can see uh, what we have here. All right, so, so immediately the first thing that comes to mind, right? So we've got the bystander exposed accidentally... Uh, to a unnatural entity that physically manifests through infestation with a terrorism cover. Like te having a terrorism cover is like the best thing you could possibly do. So the first thing that comes to mind is a like a joint terrorism task force investigation involving a biological agent or or some kind of uh, you know. Uh, disease or, bio or or chemical exposure, something so that that warrants federal law enforcement involvement. Right. Or, yeah, so it's almost like you could decide whether the terrorism is something that Delta Green is making up uh, as a cover or whether there is, in fact, some kind of public terrorism. Or at least it, it seems like that on the, on, the, on the face of it. Yeah. And it's taking place suburban or exurban background. So that's interesting. 
Um, I mean, typically when you think of terrorism acts or acts of terrorism, they're in a big city. You know, New York comes to mind, things like that. To have it be in a suburban place is interesting. It yeah. almost makes me think if maybe... I almost wonder if the the bystander that has been exposed, the, the patient zero, if they maybe returned home from work or if they are in a unique place like a like a skating rink, you know, in a suburban like some a place that you would find in suburbia, like a, a skating rink or a a public park or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and even that, or like they they work in in a city, they work in a lab. Um, they're exposed to something during their day-to-day work in the city and then they commute back to that suburban exurban environment and bring it home to the neighborhood to the family and it spreads from there now i think a virus is too easy it, uh, totally. you know, how, how do we put it how do we twist it on its head uh you know when you think of an unnatural virus a mythos related virus you know is it a virus of the mind is it uh um a virus of alien origin and that it has some other kind of uh, effect besides just people being sick or appearing sickly now quick question what are the ones that project their consciousness through time is it that's not the mygo that's no those are the uh the great race of yith the great race of yith yep okay so one of the first things i thought of especially with the your agent does not remember some of what happened and then like the 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 missing you know time the gaps in memory is potentially something involving the great race of yith whether it's a uh projected consciousness type thing uh but other than that like absolutely we could probably do some sort of alien parasite or you know extraterrestrial slash unnatural parasite that um takes control of the human uh for periods of time and in which the individual would potentially lose consciousness and that could be a potential avenue for the agents themselves to become infected. Yeah. I am just going to spitball here because I like, you know, kind of trying some more wacky off-the-wall things, especially when it's like just kind of like a visual or an or a or a intrusive thought, as Mel and Bread likes to put, a, a, of like something that feels creepy. And I had this idea the other day of what if a song, what if you listen to a song all the way to the end and it killed you? I don't know oh, why shit. I had that thought. I don't know how we could interpret that. But what about a situation where he brought home a song or he brought home yeah. something that is difficult to, to trace? It's not just like an alien inside his body. It's a almost like a mimetic thing. Yeah, hell yeah. I like that. Um, I like that a lot. So it's it's a series of tones that, you know, almost like an unnatural ritual in and itself, certain actions, words, you know, linked together are... Uh, the equivalent of a scientific formula. Yeah, um, I, I, I dig I, that. I, I like the way you what you've just added to it, which is that it could be like a part of a ritual, or maybe it's an incomplete ritual, and because it's incorrect or incomplete, it's having an unnatural effect on the person that is messing with it. Yeah, and, and you know, one entity that doesn't that that I haven't seen explored a lot of because they're just so nebulous and they're so tough to to kind of figure out are the the loiger. Um, yeah. And, and you know these are entities that that latch themselves on, and they 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 cause depression and cause these you know ne- this overwhelming negative uh, cascade of emotions, um, almost like a cancer. Maybe that's that's a vector through which they infect. So is he studying a lawyer song? Is he studying a lawyer language? Is a lawyer it- crystal. 
a lighter mm. crystal. Yeah. And, and and the and the crystal like hums at a certain frequency or something. Yeah, and maybe like through some of the experimentation that they're doing on this crystal, because um, I believe in, in the handler's guide they say the loiter manifest in or around these crystals. Um, you know, they're hitting it with lasers or doing something, and it generates a specific harmonic frequency that becomes essentially like an earworm. Um, what immediately comes to mind, the image that comes to my mind, is that this man is studying this crystal and either awakens a loiger or, or, or causes some kind of depression, kind of a, a, a ripple effect to happen. And I imagine him going to a Little League baseball game to watch his child. And, and I just have this image of the agents pulling up to this baseball game and everyone on the field is crying and, like, you know, maybe attacking each other i just have this like image of chaos on like a little league baseball field uh, oh i love that as we are talking about this so maybe we can pick that as our suburban or ex-urban background is that it's like a little league baseball uh, uh event maybe there's a dead body on site uh maybe as he was like i imagine him walking up the diamond uh as the game's in the middle and a referee is like hey hey you need to get out of here and he just blows the guy away oh yeah I think we need to kind of zero in on this crystal and its effects on the guy. Um, yeah. How can it spread if it's some kind of mimetic thing? I, I would like to take it back to like the song. Like maybe it's um, maybe if what I originally had in my head for the song is that if you hear it to the very end, it kills you. But if you can stop the song, you're safe. I don't know if that still applies in this situation, but it would yeah. be interesting if we could. I almost like a good mechanic in a scenario, right? Like whether it be with the monster or whether it be something unnatural. If we can come up with a fun mechanic that involves this uh, musical vibration meme type idea that we're that we're playing with. Yeah, I like that. And, and I mean, it, and to, to your point, like you had a great mechanic that looks could kill one shot that you ran with the with that that one entity, which was which was really fun. Well, what's fun is that Gatanathoa is a very real entity that has always yep. been his thing. If you look at him, you turn to stone. It, so I thought a modern version is you just get the little miniature version of him. So yeah, coming up with something that is along those lines that is easy to understand, but. Uh, you know, again, something as simple as if you listen to the song all the way to the end, you die. That kind of thing. So I, so I'm thinking the song itself is is the the vector for for the infection, right? right. So it's it's knowing the song and becoming obsessed with the song is what lures, you know, is what leads to that connection with the Loiger, because it is that harmonic frequency that 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 crystal operates on, or what have you. Um, maybe it's a matter of if you if you complete it if you say it enough or sing it enough i mean first it almost maybe it has almost like that that yellow sign type mm -hmm. taxonomy where it needs to be spread you need to spread it you need to make everybody listen to it but then if you say it enough or you sing it to yourself enough it it opens your mind up to the point where where the lawyer can take control completely um so it is death in a sense um it's more about be, being completely taken over by this thing. So then does that look like, you know, not only is our our patient Zero singing the song, but maybe as it spreads, others are singing the song. So you have this weird situation where you're trying to interview somebody and they just can't stop singing the song over and over again. Exactly. And then does that spread to the agents? That's, and that's, that's, I think the risk, that's the, that's where a lot of the tension and terror will come from is that how do they, 
how do they prevent themselves from becoming overwhelmed by this? And honestly, like maybe it's maybe the 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 patient zero isn't holding these hostages and doing this because he is completely surrendered. Maybe he's doing it because he knows his family is now infected and he's trying to stop the song from continuing ah, with them. Interesting. Yeah. He doesn't want people to come close. He doesn't want people to hear him. So he would be in a muffled place. Like maybe he's got the windows and the everything shut in the, uh, the hot dog stand or wherever he is. Yeah. Um, so, if it was a case of the agents just hear the song and then have to make a roll, it might happen too quickly, too easily. I wonder if it's like, does the song have to be sung at a certain volume? Does it have to be at a certain pitch? Does it have to be... Um... Maybe there's like a willpower cost involved and like every time you hear it or say it or something, it, it diminishes your willpower more and more and more to the point where once you hit a certain threshold, like a certain percentage of your willpower, you surrender to it completely. Yeah, maybe you have to make either a power roll or a, a sanity roll and if you fail that, you've been bitten by the bug. Yeah, by the earworm, yeah. By the earworm, yeah, that might be a good title for the uh, earworm. The, the, the thing, earworm. There you go. I'm gonna write that down right now. Could you? Maybe the scenario suggests the the handler pick a song that is easy to sing along. Maybe an old '50s doo-wop song or something that has like a slightly weird, you know, connotation or tone to it. Oh yeah. But just like a good phrase, and maybe we can come up with one. I don't know anything by. Tiny Tim or Ray, Ray Roy yeah. Orbison, you know, yeah, tiptoe through the tulips. Th those oh, are fuck. easy suggestions for sure. So we have our point of contact. Uh, do we want to uh, call them uh, man or woman? Do you have a, a name in mind? Oh God, Karen. Uh, D Kevin. 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 Well, no, we just interviewed Kevin Ham. Sorry, Kevin. Um, <laughs> let me pull up. Let me pull up a random name Kevina. generator. <laughs> what? Yeah. Right. Fuck. Um, Oh god. Yeah, pull up a name generator that we can yeah, use. Yeah, like pull up name generator. Regular American person names. Alright, using my hand, handy dandy um name generator, we got Tessa Collins. So Tessa Collins uh calls in, she's the point of contact, and she says what? That um there was a shooting? Yeah, she calls in that there's been a shooting at the the today's little league game and you know, um, the the crazy scientist has taken his family hostage in the fucking snack stand. I think she would just basically know him as a guy, and I think part of the investigation could be learning who he is and and his connections and stuff. So, yep. so the crazy guy has shot an ump and um, taken his family hostage in the hot dog stand. Um, his name now, is Wyatt Hale. Wyatt Hale. The, the guy's name. Yeah. Well, it's some kind of crystal that they were studying that they thought had some kind of special frequency. Maybe there's a god of music or a god of sound or a god of thunder. Yeah, god of god of music. There's, there's gonna be a god be. of music, and it's probably the god of Apollo. Apollo. Yeah. Okay. But like, would would Delta Green really by key be keyed in by somebody saying Apollo? Um, right. So. So, so we, we maybe come up with a special pro program name. Um, so music back then, the liar, I think was his, is his common attribute. So uh, project, um, 
Cobalt Liar. Cobalt Liar. Okay. The family would probably be, I would imagine, be dead ends, except for maybe like you mentioned, the um, you know, the the impending divorce or the the marital counseling. That's what I was gonna say. The the only clue that maybe would be useful from Karen is uh, if you search public records, uh, it's on record that they're in the process of divorce. Yep. And which is a great avenue for um the agents to cover this up. They just make it look like it's a you know, he broke bad because he was getting divorced and went crazy and you know, took him hostage. I'm trying to think of just like, you know, different kind of setups to kind of understand what's going on. Maybe there's a uh, uh, a parent who tried to stop uh, uh, Hale and was like infected because he heard the song. So he's maybe in an ambulance isolated and he keeps repeating himself. But then it would be very creepy to have a bunch of children in unison singing a song over and over again. So I feel like uh, would children, be. witnesses who aren't infected, maybe there is some kind of authority on site, uh, whether it be the, not the EPA, but uh, you know, who's, who... Uh, like local police. Local police, yeah. Local yep. police. Like um, another local police chief type deal. Maybe who deemed the, the it, it a possible chemical spill or something like that um, because of just the mass hysteria angle. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Who deemed it some kind of uh, – it's not a ke- – what, what's the right word? Like, like an airborne – like an airborne agent or something like airborne that. Airborne agent. Like a gas leak. Yeah. Gas leak is what I was looking for. I guess really the set the, – the, the main challenge is they're going to try to talk down – Hale. So what does that yeah. look like? Are there any mechanics involved in talking him down? Oh, probably. I would probably just make it like a successive series of persuade and human roles with maybe offering bonuses based on how good of a a job the player is doing or any like novel approaches they take to it. Now, if there's a uh, uh, success is great. If there's a series of failures, uh, maybe things get more intense I think the threat of him actually killing his wife should be very real. And once that happens, the players basically have no choice but to run in there and start blasting, right? So the hope is that they don't hit the child. And then there's the cover-up. You think that he, like the agents could probably just pin this on terrorism? No, either. Maybe not. Um, Like if if it was to be an overarching, more branching investigation. Yeah, you could do it under the auspices of terrorism like he was radicalized. But I think the cover up is, you know, yeah, this guy was his wife was leaving him. He just found out he was just served papers. He went apeshit and took his family hostage. They should also uh, the agents should also be forced to make a role to hide the crystal if they uh, take it with them. uh, And get it. or potentially even get it away, right? Because like, if the cops walk off with it, that could be a whole other complication, right? Where they got to get it back from the police. What to do with the crystal uh, is kind of the, the, the resolution and the cover-up yeah. there. Okay, this sounds like a lot of fun. I think I would want to play on that diamond field, on that on that baseball diamond. I would want to try to solve this problem. It makes a, a lawyer actually kind of interesting and, and understandable right. it's the it's the beginning of a lawyer story if you want to go down that path not to get too punny but it sounds like a home run and i'd uh, <laughs> i'd love to take a swing at it i'm so proud of you for finally uh, <laughs> uh, contributing to the ridiculousness uh but guys I, I hope that you all got something out of this if you have uh ideas for your shotgun scenario let us know what you're working on but as you can see it's really just a matter of batting some ideas around between you and your friend 
and uh, making some roles and just sticking to them. It's really, like Kevin said in the interview, it's not meant to be too arduous. It's not to be some, meant to be something that you take a lot of time out. Just have some fun. It's really more of a writing exercise. And as you can see, uh, with just a little bit of time, you can come up with a, a fun scenario to, to run for your players. So like we said earlier, it's October, it's fall, it's Halloween time, and if you are thinking about running a scenario for your friends in this time of the year, we cannot recommend enough the scenario Music from a Darkened Room. You can find it as both a standalone and in the Night at the Opera scenario collection. But we're going to talk about it today. As a warning, there are a lot of spoilers ahead for the scenario. If you are a player who doesn't want these scenarios spoiled for yourself, then you should make like Arthur Donnelly and have a sharp exit. So, let's get right into it. Vince, can you tee us up? What is Music from a Darkened Room all about? All right. Yeah, so so Music from a Darkened Room is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, written by Dennis Detwiller, one of the, the first scenarios to come out for the, uh, for, the, for the new game. Definitely one of the earlier uh, scenarios released. Long story short, it is a haunted house scenario. Uh, it takes place in the town of Meadowbrook, New Jersey, specifically at a house located at 1206 Spooner Avenue. Uh, that has a long and sordid history of mysterious and violent deaths surrounding it. What gets the uh, player characters involved and their agents is that a uh, Delta Green uh, agent by the name of Arthur Donnelly, who was also with the FBI, uh, recently committed suicide in the home. And the, the agents are called in to try to investigate the circumstances surrounding it. What really gets Delta Green's attention is the fact that uh, Arthur Donnelly had kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, petitioned Delta Green to look into this this residence before, uh, but now ended up dead. Looked like his throat was cut, but of course no suicide weapon, no note, no nothing was found. Um, so as a result, the agents are called in to see if there is an unnatural presence, and if there is, do what they do best and take care of it. It's really such a solid scenario. I've run it twice now. I enjoy it so much. One of the reasons I enjoy it, and we can get right into the pros of the scenario, is that it's a scenario that cannot be solved with guns. Uh, so often, you just pull out some guns and you start blasting at things and you hope that it kills whatever's coming at you. In this instance, it's not that easy. So it's a great challenge, especially for those trigger-happy agents. As far as scenarios go, it is definitely, I feel, one of the more atmospheric ones. It's just such a, it, it's just, it's really just dripping with that, that scary, you know, haunted house type atmosphere. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's great for players that really enjoy haunted houses. And, and I feel like a lot of players who maybe don't necessarily understand the lore surrounding Delta Green or Call of Cthulhu or anything else, they may be looking for like a ghost-oriented or haunted house-type scenario, and this is a perfect entry point for players like that to really uh, kind of expose them to this unnatural side of things that could manifest as something they're more familiar with, like ghosts and haunted houses. Yeah, that's a good point. That it, 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 Although there is a mythos entity involved at the end, you don't necessarily have to know everything about the mythos to really get a kick out of this. Right. So maybe we transition to some of the challenges that we both found when we ran this. You had a, an interesting challenge in that you weren't able to complete the scenario in your first run, but eventually you did in your in your second run. Um, right. Something that I found was immediately obvious, which is that if you're 
agents, if your players are overly cautious, it might keep the scare factor to a minimum. Uh, the scenario could drag a little bit if they are overly cautious. You might want to tell players to uh, really engage with the scenario, don't be afraid to, to meet it head on, and also getting the players to come at night could prove kind of challenging. The, another thing I found a little challenging was the manifestations that happen in the house. So uh, whenever you go to the house, things happen both in the day and in the night that are creepy and weird. And uh, what seems obvious is that at night, the more intense things should happen. And during the day, maybe the more subtle things should happen. The book also suggests that you try to track the willpower threshold for all of the agents because different manifestations might happen for different willpower thresholds. I really had a hard time tracking that. Uh, because you literally have to know what every player's willpower is at, at that moment. So I actually let that go. I, I ignored that whole willpower thing. And I just organized the manifestations from least intense to most intense. And just kind of one by one started dropping them as the players explored the house and kept coming back, etc. I've also found that, that if players don't seek out Elizabeth Tucker they're going to have a much harder time finding the bowl, the knife, and the book, all three of which are kind of, are, are not even kind of, are essential to yeah. resolving the scenario completely. Can you give um, a little bit of context who Elizabeth Tucker is and why they're searching for this bowl, knife, and book? Yeah, so Elizabeth Tucker is is a Delta Green friendly who at the start at the, at the start of the scenario was specifically called out by the case officer as being a local friendly that they could that they could uh, make contact with. She's a uh, an antiques dealer who was able to track down furniture that was sold from the Wheeler House at twelve oh six Spooner Avenue, specifically this end table that actually contains this bowl, this ritualistic bowl knife and this diary of Isabel Wheeler who resided in the house and who, uh, you know, was, uh, played a role in the consecration of the ground to, to Nyarlathotep and, and the dark man. Um, and you need those in order to be able to deconsecrate that ground. Uh, they also, I found may, um, go down a rabbit hole. There's this, you know, obviously the name of the scenario is music from a darkened room. There are some manifestations in which they can hear the, uh, the, the piano play. And I found that that could draw them down a rabbit hole, uh, that by going after the piano and really obsessing about finding the, the piano versus, uh, the end, this, this end table. Um, yeah. In, in two in two scenarios that I ran, one of them, the players split up enough that, at least one team went to look for the antique table, so I was able to put the bowl, the knife, and the book in that. In another scenario, my players became very obsessed with the piano because they heard the music, they found the, the sheet music. So I suggest that if your, if your players do go down a rabbit hole, it's okay to put the bowl, the knife, and the book in that piano. Maybe there's a secret hutch or a secret compartment uh, because what you don't want is your players to be frustrated where they just did all this searching and it comes up with nothing and they're thinking what the hell we thought we looked down every every avenue you know that's a great idea yeah i didn't even think i didn't even think of that put it in the piano it's, it's that easy sometimes you just have to you know roll with the punches of what the players are throwing at you right 100 so there are some suggestions we have for this scenario uh one of them that i would suggest is you might want to consider putting a time crunch on this uh, uh, session or on this scenario um, the 
players will need to expend their willpower to stay up doing research. The reason I'm suggesting this is because the more they whittle down their willpower, especially when it's happening in the house, the stronger the house becomes. Every time they fail a sanity check in that house, that house is eating up that willpower. So you want to consistently hit them with manifestations, even if it is the middle of the day, um, if they split up, if they go into a new space, I think there should be some kind of manifestation to trigger a sanity check so that that house can feed. And um, the time crunch just forces them to be at their wits end. That way the climax is even more intense, uh, especially when the house attempts to take over somebody. If they've got low willpower, it's going to succeed and then all hell is going to break loose. I would also maybe have the real FBI show up after 72 hours, you know, give them give them a timetable to work on where, you know, you've only got this finite window of time to operate with impunity. And after that, other people are going to start coming around asking questions. So it, it, it kind of forces them to jump in feet first and really keep that forward momentum going, which is, of course, going to carry them into the house eventually, sometimes more than once and kind of removes that safety net where they feel like they have this, they have as much time as they want and they can proceed as carefully as they want. Puts a little bit of added strain and pressure on that. And, and I've never had the FBI actually show up. I have put this time crunch both times where the FBI or, or the real FBI are coming in 72 hours or whatever if you don't solve this. It would be very interesting to add the wrinkle of now you've got two or three legitimate FBI agents snooping around. Um, what I did always have is that at the end of the ritual, the cops were coming from the sounds of screaming coming in the house as people murder each other. Oh, yeah. Also, I think you should consider making Donnelly someone that is closely associated with one of the agents. I really like tying the agents into the backstory of the narrative. I did it uh, with my playthrough with Mayday, where um, we didn't record this, unfortunately, but Agent Tuck was... Um, Arthur Donnelly's almost like protege and I think that gave some weight to both his death and the investigation so you might even want to consider Donnelly being a former case officer of the agents Emil Yarrow is probably one of the, the more fun uh, NPCs I've, I've had I've enjoyed portraying because he's a, he's he can a, just a parapsychologist at a local college right yeah yeah and, and he's he's supposed to be full of shit and so you can really play that up like this is a guy who thinks he's he knows what he's talking about but really has no fucking clue what he's talking about so like my advice would be maybe watch an episode or two of ghost hunters or something or one of those other paranormal investigation shows really like adopt that parlance and and some of the uh, the lexicon and incorporate that if you haven't seen it 28 days haunted on netflix has some of the biggest heaping piles of bullshit on <laughs> ever. Just watch that and get to the part with the god helmet and just use that. And your agents will immediately know Emiliero was not someone to be relied upon for accurate information. And, and if they don't pick up that he's bad, it's just going to get really crazy oh, really fast. So, so he'll he'll probably suggest that they separate in the house and then you can do all kinds of fun things to them. Yeah, that's his big advice, right? Go into the house at night, go in alone, which are like the exact opposite of what you need to do to survive this freaking scenario. Yeah, so play play Yero with a straight face to see if you can trick the players. Definitely. A lot of this scenario is about seeing how you can trick the players into making mistakes or doing things, uh, isolating themselves. Trickery is a big part of it, yeah. There is the very fun climactic end where the agents have collected all of the items and they have to create a human sacrifice. They have to kill somebody 
they have to take a life to end the the connection that the dark man, the Luomonero, has to this house. I would suggest, and I've I've seen this suggested in other places, that when the dark man appears, make it memorable. And one of the ways that you can is that you can start having the dark man like the devil uh, in in many mythology tales. Start talking to the agents about their backstories, their motivations. You know, maybe he offers them something that they can't get, that they've been struggling to have. Maybe he offers to help them reconcile with somebody who was a Bond formerly. Play that up, because if you have a moment where you've got an agent actually considering it, the other agents are going to lose their mind and suddenly it's going to be this crazy standoff. What do you think are some of the best scares that uh, handlers should make sure to include for this scenario? Oh, man, there are so many. Uh, read through them, find your favorites, and, and, and go with those. But, uh, like, for me, um, there's a, a, a sequence where during the day they can be in the master bedroom and there's, like, a penny on the floor. And one of the agents kicks it, it rolls across the floor, then it goes through the mirror, through to the other side. And even something so small as that creeped the living hell out of my players yeah um one of them drank this rancid coffee in the uh in the living room not under their own power puked up maggots um isabel wheeler's manifestations in the master bedroom the monster under the floor all fucking so creepy so so, so many good moments the moonlight sonata for sure is great I, I like to end a scenario where you know as they're walking up to the house they can hear the music um yes. something i did that is not a manifestation but um through understanding the history of the house i was very effective we had a kind of technology specialist and they put uh cameras all around the house to to watch if anything weird happens and when Love they that. collected that footage i basically replayed for them what happened in what is it 1927 or whenever the house was consecrated where oh. they literally witnessed the 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 divatellos and isabel wheeler sacrifice another cat in the bowl with the knife uh, which oh, just shit. added to the clues but was a fun uh one for the technology person to kind of lose their mind over that is cool as shit that's a good idea i like that i think this is a fabulous scenario anyone who has not run it should definitely try to run it for their group uh, if you guys end up running a memorable home game for halloween let us know how it went yeah and if you've enjoyed today's episode please make sure to like and subscribe if you're not yet a patron we're offering extended episodes with even more content so sign up at patreon.com forward slash RP, where any patron level any at all can get access to these exclusive episodes so you all know we're going to take a short break in november uh for these monthly installment episodes but we'll be releasing still the impossible landscapes walkthrough and then we'll be back in december with more monthly episodes uh, in the meantime i want everyone to stay safe we'll see you next time see you folks have a good one